I'm sure you would say you never really saw yourself as different. But as I looked around at your things today, your uniform, old photos, service medals, with respect, I have to disagree. Because to me, you are different. You're someone who already knows that when duty calls, you will answer. You're someone who's faced their greatest fears and not shrunk back. You're someone who's seen what it means that the greatest love is to lay down your life for your friends and even for total strangers. If that doesn't make you stand apart from the rest, I don't know what does. That's why I had to write to you today, of all days. And to all those like you who sacrificed their safety, their own well-being, even their own future, so we wouldn't have to. Even if you've heard these words a thousand times, you deserve to hear them again. From those of us who weren't there, who have not seen what you saw, never been tested the way you were. All we can say is, thank you. All right, thank you for being different. We truly honor you this morning. And thank you to our media department who got that awesome video up and going for us. They do a lot behind the scenes for each one of these services. So let's just give them a round of applause real quick. But welcome to church, everyone. Awesome, awesome. My name is Nate Worth. If you've never met me before, um, my wife is Brooke, and she is maybe in here, maybe not. Um, hey. <laughs> There she is. Awesome. So we are your children's ministry pastors. Um, we're usually in the back with your kids having a blast and learning about Jesus. So Bishop, thank you for letting us come out here and uh, sharing the pulpit. I know you're ready to get going. So, um, well, thanks. Uh, but I want to pick up on this topic of serving just for a minute. And we got a lot that I want to cover and, but at first, it may seem like we're kind of bouncing around a little bit on a couple topics because we're trying to lay a foundation of where we're trying to go this morning. So can you all just hang in there with me just for a few minutes? Pay attention. Stay awake. Let's get going on this, all right? So let's go back to that topic of serving, all right? And in the Bible, just to kick it off, I found over 100 verses that are saying that it is our duty. We are called to serve. So as we thank our veterans, we're not just thanking them for, for their service, but we thank you for living that biblical example for us to follow as a life of, of servanthood, as we're called. All right. And to be honest, I don't think most people disagree with this statement. Does anyone disagree with that? I think in the church, not just our church, but the, the big church, the global church, the, the entire Christian population would agree we are called to serve. And I, so I looked at some statistics just for fun. And did you guys know that 63% of America uh, claims to be Christian? 63% today, that's so far in 2023, says that they're a follower of Christ. And just so to put that in perspective for you, that's 210 million people are saying that they've answered that call. So even in these weird denominational splits you see on the news, when you hear the leaders talk about all their wild ideas that they have, they still all kind of agree on the same thing, that we are called to serve and love people. No one's disintegrated with that. 
And as we celebrate our, our veterans today, we celebrate you and your answer uh, to that call. The answer to the call, so we say thank you. And we want to talk about that process just for a little bit this morning because something deep down inside of you, it nudged you a little bit to answer that call. You didn't just wake up one day, go over here to Fort Benning and knock on the door and hope a drill sergeant answered and say, I want to join your boot camp. It doesn't work that way. And anyone that's been through the service knows it's a long process before you even get to that day one. It's the deliberation, it's the process, but it all started somewhere. And it started with that calling deep down inside. So we all have a calling. We all have this calling to serve. Whether we know it, the Word of God tells us that it was carefully crafted. He took it. The King of Kings, guys, took this calling and he carefully placed it in each one of us. The Word tells us in Jeremiah 1.5 that even before we were in the womb, that he called us, not just called us, but he ordained us to carry out that calling. Let's look at Romans chapter 9, verse 11, where it makes it even more clear. And uh, verse 11, it starts off, it's talking about Esau and Jacob. And if you all remember Esau and Jacob, Esau denied his birthright, ended up selling it to Jacob for a pot of stew. Jacob received the blessing. His name was later chained to Israel. You all tracking? So verse 11, those children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. So we are all given a calling before we do anything good or anything bad. We have that calling. And uh, media team, can you play that second video real quick for us? Um, my pops always told me it's my duty to serve my country as a young American. So he was killed when I was 12, so I figured I'd, I'd do what he told me to do. Get rid of terrorists, because I know about terrorists. I know that. If I can save one, one American from getting hurt, and I'm doing my job. I don't care about my life. I care about my family's lives. That's the only reason I'm here. Why are you giving him? I just want to be normal. I want to live a normal life. So this is a young Marine answering the call to serve, and he's being interviewed in the streets of Fallujah. This was in 2004. Regardless of that environment around him, he was still sticking to that call that was placed inside of him. And this is what he said. We are getting rid of terrorism. If I can save one American from getting hurt, I am doing my job. He said, I don't care about my life. I care about my family's life. That is the true definition of servanthood, just as Jesus Christ lived his life. And as we answer this call, regardless of the environment that's around us, when the path gets rough and that environment seems to be closing in around us, there's a lot of craziness going on, Jesus mentions a couple different paths that we can take. He says there's one that's narrow and is difficult but it leads to life. He also talks about another path that is wide and easy to access, 
but it leads to destruction. And we're going to talk about these paths just for a moment here. I grew up in Colorado riding a lot of dirt bikes. My dad took me camping one time. We came around a corner on these dirt bikes. We didn't go slow. We went as fast as possible, of course. Come around a corner, and there was these big muddy ruts in the middle of the path. And my dirt bike got right in them. And if you've ever ridden dirt bikes and you get in those ruts, you know, if you try to get out of them, your front wheel can turn. You'll flip over. Or if you try to get out of them, you can pop up, pop back down in another one, and it's endless cycle till you crash. All right? So that's exactly what happened to me. And I crashed. And I'll never forget what my dad told me. He said, if you ever get in one of these ruts on these paths, you got to just keep going straight and ride it out. It's not a natural feeling to keep going straight, to stay focused on what's ahead, but you got to keep going straight. So let's go back to that statistic real quick because I want to talk about it because 2,010 million Americans say they're Christian. And I want to put this back into perspective with you. That same statistic said only 260 million Americans speak English. So that's only 50 more million Americans in America today speak English than the Christian population. That's a huge number of Christians. And the same statistics are showing that it takes only 25% of the community and any population to change the culture. So in America, if we have 63% of Americans that are Christian, and only takes 25% to change the entire culture around us, how do you all see when people get on a path, how they handle it? The paths where they lead, how do you all see what the average American is doing to handle it? All right, and that's what we're going to talk about. The title of today's message, it's going to sound a little off, but I want you to follow me. You all good? All right. The title of today's message is You Are Not Made for This. The Bible is very clear about where destruction comes from and where life comes from. There's really not any room in between. And just a few examples, John 14, verse 6 said, this is Jesus talking, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Very clear, life comes from Jesus. Revelation chapter 9, verse 11 says, and they had a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name was the destroyer. So we know where destruction comes from. There's a king over that destruction. Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus said, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. So we're not really given too many choices here on which way we can choose. When we get in those rough paths, one may will lead, how we handle it may lead to life, or may, one way may lead to death. So going back to our calling, we know that before we were placed in our mother's womb, we were created and given a calling to walk that path, a calling given by God. A calling that leads to life and not destruction. This is why it's important for us as parents. It's our job to train up our children to know that path and how to stay on that path. Not, not just to know it, but when the environment around our path changes, how to stay on it and keep going straight. And here at Glory to Him, if you all haven't noticed, we really don't provide childcare. We don't have a daycare. We do have a children's ministry, and a youth ministry team that is working very hard to help your children and your teen, teens stay on this path, regardless of what the environment around them looks like. I don't think the problem is knowing the path. 
I think when our environment changes, the path gets even more narrowed. And what we yield to, what we turn to, what we do to fill ourselves with, what we per- give permission to, leads to life or death. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, to be sober, to be vigilant, because your adversary the devil lurks around, walks around about like a, a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. He is waiting, quietly stalking us, waiting for our environment around this path that we're on to change. He's waiting for an opportunity to give you something to take that right or to take that left that's going to take you off that path. But do not believe the lies. The environment surrounding your path may get nasty. People may churn on you and you may get hurt. Those you trusted may stab you in the back even. No matter what it looks like, just know this morning you were not made for this. Now hear me out and keep following with me. Because you were not designed to struggle every day. You were not designed to carry the pain. You were not designed to fight this on your own. You were not designed to deal with the trauma. Bishop just just, uh, prayed it. Those images that are seared in your head, you were not designed to carry the horrors of that. Now, we're not saying you weren't designed to go down that path, but along that path, that environment that happened around you, you were not designed to carry the pains of it out with you. You were not designed to be destroyed internally. But the world does tell us different. And there's a lot of 12-step processes out there that says you can do it. You're strong enough. We can go to this therapy session. We can do this, this, and this. You got it. You're strong enough. Just keep believing in yourself. And I'm not a doctor, and I stand here. I'll tell that to everybody. I won't even pretend to be. I know that there's times where people need to go and get certain help. But what we were designed to and what the world says are two different things. All right? What we turn to can only lead to life or death. It's not important about what we turn to going and see a doctor and things like that. It's important what we turn to first. Where are we going first? And I want to read a story to you out of the Bible. I want to go through it, and I want to talk about something in this Bible. And I studied it about a year ago. It's kind of a hard story to follow. It's in the Old Testament, so it's in the book of Judges. And it's it's a very interesting book. There's a lot of important things to study out in that book. Um, And when I did a project on it, I learned about it. But there was something that stuck out to me I want to talk about that even all the commentaries that you read about is going to point to this story, and they're going to skip right over it. It's really not an important point in the story. Overall story of the book, um, God's people were being led to the promised land. They didn't drive out the Canaanites like they were supposed to, so there was a lot of evil still in the land. And this story is really designed to show the reader about that evil that's still present in the land that was not driven out. But I want to talk about it because in Judges chapter 19, there's a lady, and she's not even worthy enough to be given her name in the overall story. Just a lady, and she's labeled as a concubine, a Levite's concubine, which was, it's kind of like a wife, but not really. It wasn't officially ordained. It wasn't like an official position to be a wife. I guess today they might say it's like a a girl I have on the side. I guess that's what people kind of say. It's a, a side thing. Not that I have that. <laughs> that is not where that meant to go. Anyway, um, 
That's what she was. Nothing too special, nothing too important in the overall story. Um, but it says in the beginning of Judges 19, it uses the, the words that kind of lead us to, to imagine that she was cheating on her, her husband or she wasn't being faithful or maybe he wasn't being faithful. It's really kind of hard to, to, to understand that word there. But anyway, she went back to her father's house. She moved back home and she stayed there for four months. And after four months, the husband came back to get his wife. And the father rejoiced. He was so happy that this, the, his uh, son-in-law came back to get his wife. And the, the man says, all right, baby, the next morning we're going home. They get their, their donkey packed. He's got his servants, all that good stuff. But the father comes out and says, hey, can you all just stay for one more night? Why don't you eat up? We'll, we'll hang out, and I want you to get stronger before you go back out. The man says, no problem. They stay one night. The next morning, wakes up, baby, let's roll. The dad says, hey, why don't you eat a little bit longer and just stay? Just stay here. The third night, they stay, they wake up, and sure enough, they try to leave, and the father says, hold on, not yet. This guy really seems to be trying to get out of there, but the father sees something. We don't know what it is. The Bible doesn't tell us, but for whatever reason, he says, stay one more night. So they stay a fourth night. They wake up. It's time to go. Sure enough, the father says, stop, stop. Just wait. Wait one more night. And they do. One more night, the fifth morning comes. They wake up. Surely we're out of here now, baby girl. Let's go. They pack up their, their donkey and everything. He says, just at least get a good, good meal on your stomach before you head out. And they do. They eat. It's lunchtime. It gets to the afternoon. And the, the father says, just wait till nighttime. You're almost there. But the man says, not a chance, we're out. So they, 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 they hand out. They travel six miles to their first town, and the servants say, let's stay here. The man says, no, nah, let's keep going. They go to four miles up the road. They're now 10 miles away from their father's house. And they, they're looking for a place to stay in the Times Square, town square. An old man comes and finds them, says, hey, come stay with me. I'll bring you into my house. And they do. They settle up. They get their donkeys fed and all that good stuff. Pretty soon, you start hearing a beating on the door. There was a remnant of sodomites left in the area that says that they come from the tribe of, of uh, Benjamin. They were not driven out like they should have been. They were very evil people. And they came and surrounded the house. And they demanded that they give up the man that was traveling. They wanted the man. And the, the owner of the house says, there's no way I can give up this man. And he does something just ridiculous and says, here's my daughter. Here's this woman. And it's just unheard of for us to understand that in the Western culture. But he is putting his hospitality laws and rules of that house above um, this evil thing that was going to happen. It says that the man took his wife, the concubine, and forced her out of the house. And it says all night long she was abused and she was let go in the morning. And this is just so hard for us to understand because this woman beaten all night long, where does she go? Where would you go in that moment? I'm probably running 10 miles back or at least try to, to my father's house that I just come from. But no, she went back to the house that just fed her to the wolves. And she collapsed at the door. 
and she died. And that's where the story on her ends. The man comes out, and it's, you can read about it, you can study it. It leads to a big civil war uh, in Israel, which it highlighted the evil that was present. But no one wants to focus on why she went back to that house, to that place. What do you think her father was trying to tell her before she left? We don't know. We can assume, though. If she tried to run back, maybe he was waiting for her along the way. But I want to talk to you about that today. As we look at our lives, as we follow this path, what we turn to is either going to lead to life or death. That video that we just watched about that Marine, his name was William Wold. And he was, he was a war hero. And he was recognized as such. Um, just before that video, he had just cleared a building and they had killed a bunch of the surgeons. And he was known as decorated war hero, all this good stuff. When he came back to the States, I found an interview of his mother who said that he just seemed a little bit different. Things started to change a little bit. The war took his toll on him, and he started to struggle with PTSD. And they, there was a whole list of, of treatments that he went through, where he went, all these different places to get help. And he ended up getting a giant concoction of medicine to treat all these symptoms that he had. He, one night, he was with his friends, and he took one pill that was too many. And the combination of all that stuff that he was taking, it killed him. And he didn't wake up. He went peacefully. The doctor said it was a, a peaceful way to go. It wasn't suicide. It was an accident. But it was a combination of everything that he was taking. What you choose, what you run to, can lead to life or death. I don't know if you were in that video, if you saw what he said, they said, why are you getting out? He said, I just want to be, live a normal life. The guy said, well, can you ever be normal after this? He said, I'm sure I will. I'm sure I'll be all right. You were not made for this. You were not made for this. But there is someone that was. And this is why God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for us. So that you may not perish but live. Even though we do not deserve it, we take our own paths and we get in our own mess, but still, he's right there. Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery to the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So here we are, and we're going to close out. I want you all to ask yourselves a question. This path that you're on, the environment surrounding the path that led you right here this morning, which way are we turning? Are we turning to what the world is telling us? This is how you handle it. This is how you find your relief. Or have you made a stop at the altar first? Father, I don't know what I need. I don't know what this environment, how I even got in this environment. I don't even know all these things that are holding on to me. I don't even know how they got there. But are we bringing them to the altar first? Here at uh, Glory to Him, we have what's called a freedom class, which is really important for people that go through trauma or anything, just have things that are, are, are on their heart that they're trying to get rid of. It's a 12-week course that people can go through, and you can get in depth and all this good stuff. But sometimes... Jesus wants us to know he doesn't need 12 weeks to heal you. Those are important. 
But this morning, I think what he's saying to all of us right now, whatever situation you found yourself in, whatever trauma you're carrying, whatever things that you're holding on to this morning, he's saying, I don't need 12 weeks, but I do need 12 seconds. I just need 12 seconds. And praying all week, I don't know why this has been on my heart so heavy. The trauma doesn't look the same to everybody. We all go through, we can go through the same path and the environment may look completely different to all of us. I know I have friends that struggle with things that I don't struggle with. And we were on that same path. We went through the same place and we saw the same things. But it's because what you turn to is going to determine life or death. And we have, we do have a uh, altar team. We have ministers on call. If everyone would please stand up with us. And as we close out today, here's your opportunity. And maybe you've never even heard about this whole Jesus healing you, setting you free, all this. Maybe this is brand new news to you. Maybe you'd like to live your life to like, give your life to Christ. You have 12 seconds, here's your opportunity. He can do miracles in that 12 seconds. We're going to close out. We're going to have a few announcements at the end. But don't let this moment pass you by. Whatever you're carrying, whatever you're holding on to, here's your perfect opportunity. Come up. Receive the prayer. Yeah. You can come. Hey, Nate. I don't want to interrupt you, but while you were, right before you came up to preach, a young man came over to me right after I had prayed for the veterans. He had mentioned about the spirit of suicide. It's plaguing our veterans. They come back with all these horrific events that have taken place and they can't wash them. And so they begin to erode at the fabric of their emotion and it begins to tear them apart. And I just want to pray as he comes up here to finish this altar call. As a part of this altar call, if you're dealing or have someone in your family that's dealing with suicide, suicidal thoughts, we need you to come down right now because we're going to end this today. Whoever you are, don't be afraid. Don't be bashful. Whoever it is. Pastor Nate just brought an on-time word. So straightforward. Listen, if there's brokenness in your life, it's easy to stand around smiling at everyone so everyone will think everything's okay. And by the time you get to your car or you get home, your whole world's falling apart. So instead of living that facade, why don't you just end it now? Let's go ahead and just, if you need to come forward, now is the time. Just come forward. Let's get this done. Let's get this handled today. Don't put it off. Don't let your mind take out of it. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. There's nothing to be afraid about. There you go. Just, let's just get it fixed today. We're doing this. This, this. Let's just get it fixed, whoever that is. Just come on down.
saints, if you would, just stretch your hands forth towards this altar right now. Some of these events have taken place over a lifetime. Some of these things have been going on in their hearts and their minds and they're wound up. So many knots to untie. The power of God is so much stronger than the human thought or emotion that it literally can just unravel years worth of abuse in seconds. Do you hear me? He used the term 12 seconds. It can be one second. But sometimes it takes a little bit of prayer, a little bit of joining together with faith, a little bit of laying hands on, calling for the elders, anointing with oil, laying on of hands. We're doing what you read about in the Bible you're seeing happen here, decently and in order. These things are real. They're powerful. And they bring lasting impact. Oh. There's so much that goes on in a person's mind. Sometimes it's hard to control. Sometimes you want to tell it one thing and your mind is saying another. But under the power of the Spirit of God, all yokes can be destroyed from the anointing. The burdens can be lifted and the yokes will be destroyed. That's our promise in the Word. So in the name of Jesus, we release the power of God into your Receive the Word of God and the Spirit of God, which is more powerful than anything that you're dealing with. The Bible specifically says, greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. So the conflict that rages on the inside now has to cease. The lies from the enemy has to depart. The healing that needs to take place now can take place. The order that needs to be spoken back into the line, to line things back up. You thought things were out of place. You think things are so out of, they're in chaos. How do I bring it back together? Sometimes you feel like it's strung out. The Lord can put it back just like that. But when he puts it back, it'll be better than it ever was. You'll be stronger. You'll be better. You'll see clearer. You'll know next time things you didn't know. He's refining you right now. He's just bringing things into order into your life, even now as I'm praying for you. Oh, I feel it. You sense that, don't you? Yes. Just call upon the faith of the Lord right now. Have faith in the Lord and what He can do. Right? What He can do for you. Every person that's receiving prayer up here right now, the Holy Spirit is the one who's activating the prayer. It's the Holy Spirit that's doing the operation in the work. We are just vessels that are used as conduits for the Holy Spirit. That's all we are. The power is of God. It comes from Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And right now, lives are being healed. Right now, souls are being restored. Spirits are being renewed. Minds are being refreshed. How about that? There's even a refreshing that comes in the spirit. Once you begin to break down the barriers between the spirit, the soul, and the body, the spirit of God begins to flow freely through you. And they all three learn to sink and operate as one. Right now, they're fighting each other because one of them is out of balance or one of them is disproportionate. 
one can't come to faith because of the other one. And then when God begins to heal it, they all come into agreement and you come to that power of unity. And when you come to that power of unity, you're one with Him. And that's when the peace comes. That's when the joy comes. That's when the release comes. That's when the relief happens. It's just like weights fall off of you. It's like chains coming off of your limbs. Yeah, right now God's just doing such a powerful thing here right in front of you. Folks, the works of the Spirit are not weird. They're not spooky. They're very frank. They're very adamant. They're very real. They're very established. They're very predictable. Nobody's hoping somebody gets healed. We're praying, knowing that they will be healed. Knowing that they will be restored. Fully assured that they will walk away from here different than they came. You can see the countenance on their face change. Is that lifts. It's like a cloud lifting off of them. And you need to see this. You need to witness and see this change. Because sometimes you may be out somewhere and you can't bring them down to the church altar. You may have to do it in the middle of a Walmart or in the middle of a parking lot. Or you may have to do it in your living room or at Thanksgiving dinner table. This is what it looks like. It doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be loud. Sometimes it is, but it doesn't have to be. Sometimes it's just a pleasant touch on the shoulder with a prayer with tears running down someone's cheek. And you have no idea what God can do. God can do more in 30 seconds than you can do the rest of your life. Do you hear me? He will take your inside and reset it. Some of us need a reset. Wow. Anointing is so strong up here right now. So evident. So tangible. That's real. That's real. That's real. That's healing right there. That's healing. That's restoration right there. You hear that? Years. around holding this stuff we we keep it inside ties us up it can get so bad it'll change who we are if you're out there and you still need to come down you can come down at any minute you want anytime you ever want you're welcome to come down to an altar call but we do allow time for God to finish his work appreciate your patience we're family we stick together. We help each other. Please, I hope you're still praying, putting your prayers towards the front here. They need your prayers. Who knows, next week, you may be the one down here, and they be, may, be, may be praying for you. This is what we do. We help each other. Amen. This is good. This is good.
There's still time. If you want to come on forward, there's some people that are available to pray. Don't let this moment pass you by. 12 seconds. God needs one second. I know it may feel like a nudging and you're not sure why you want to come down. Walk in faith. Just take that step. Don't worry about what the people around you are thinking. We are going to close out this service, but don't, if you haven't received your prayer yet, don't leave. Gotcha.